over the last few weeks, as I've been contemplating the state of our country, my mind has been much agitated. I've spent time studying and searching and trying to understand what is it that God wants from me and what He desires from us as His people. I fear of saying the wrong thing when I stand up front because I realize that um, sometimes people recognize and realize I'm speaking from the Word of God and I don't want to misrepresent Him. This morning as I share this message, it's my earnest desire that we will hear the heart of God. If you'd be so kind as to pray with me. Father, you've promised that spiritual things can be discerned spiritually, and you've promised to give your Holy Spirit. We claim that today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Although the term racism is a fairly modern construct, a study of human history lets us know that racism as a principle has existed for a long time. Racism, racism has not always been based upon color. Sometimes it's been based on cultural differences or even religion. I'd like to share a few things as I was reading that was quite surprising to me, in 1275, that's a few years ago, Jews in England were actually experiencing a mandated residential segregation, something that we have seen in our country about a hundred years ago and then more recently since then. In fact, it got so bad that all Jews were kicked out of the country in 1290 from England. Irish, and I took personal offense at this one, were described as quasi-human, savage, infantile, bestial race in 12th century English literature. A renowned theologian of the Middle Ages announced that the killing of a Muslim wasn't actually homicide, but malicide, the extermination of incarcerated evil not the killing of a person. Sub-Saharan Africans were grimly depicted as killers of John the Baptist and torturers of Christ in medieval art. Romani, or gypsies, in southeastern Europe became enslaved by religious houses and landowning elites used Romani slaves to labor well into the modern era, making gypsy in Europe, the name of a slave race. Even more disturbing, and if any of you have done some noticing in a worldwide setting, is the racism that's currently fomenting in the country of India. The northeastern section of India has people that are considered different from everyone else. If you're from the northeast, your description is that you're an addict, 
you're poor, etc. You have difficulty getting jobs. You have difficulty getting houses. Youth who are from northeast India, if they happen to wander out of their area and they're somewhere else, they may get killed because you're not welcome here. Art and culture from northeast India is not shared or used anywhere else. This is happening right now. Throughout history, humans have struggled with people being different from them. Looking, speaking, living different. Philosophically different. And oftentimes even worshiping different. One root problem with this is the belief that our thinking, our customs, our methods are superior to other cultures. What we do makes sense to us and is therefore right. And others are wrong. This is not solely a problem of white versus black. It's a problem found in every race. It is a human problem. Recently, however, the cruel, unjust action of a white police officer towards an African-American in his custody has racked our nation with everything from peaceful protest, demanding change to violent riots that are leaving desolation in their wake. Because this isn't the first time this kind of injustice has happened, Americans are rising up, demanding that true justice be served and strict accountability be enforced. At the core, however, our society seems to have forgotten that God is made from one blood every nation of humans to dwell on the face of this planet. This is one reason why God's church is attempting to share the gospel with every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. What we need now is a church that will rise up and show a true representation of Jesus and their unbiased, unprejudiced love for humanity. What we need now is love that isn't based upon culture, love that isn't based upon philosophy or lifestyle or anything else for that matter. Well, the kind of love we're talking about doesn't come by legislation. It comes by transformation. Having the love of Christ embodied in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This battle with racism, if you will, has been with the church from the earliest days of Christianity. In fact, the early church's openness to those who were not like them and or despised in society is one thing that made Christianity so popular. However, before that openness developed, there was a key event that took place in the early Christian church that changed the thinking and gave a lesson to the apostles and how God relates with race. And we're going to look at that story this morning. If you can open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of feedback. Remember Jesus' three apostles. What are the three apostles that were with Jesus everywhere he went? Peter, James, and John. And you can see them in their leadership. Well, one of the famous leaders in the early, book of, early part of the book of Acts is Peter. Peter is well known 
And uh, in Acts chapter 9, we find out that Peter goes on a little tour through Christendom of that time, which was basically Palestine. And as he was going through and speaking to different people, some great miracles happened. We had a, a man who had not been able to walk for a while. He was healed. Ananias, he had been paralyzed for eight years. Well, as that happens, he is in, Peter's in Lydda, and he hears about in Joppa, there is this lady named Tabitha or Dorcas. And, and Dorcas had, was very sick. In fact, she had just died and the church was moaning and weary and crying because here this great woman had died and what are we going to do? And so, Peter went to Joppa. And this is how our story gets Peter in Joppa. He goes there, he speaks, he sees what Dorcas has done. He sends everyone out of the room. He prays before God and says, God, if it's your will, bring her back. And God does. Dorcas is raised from the dead and all of a sudden, something starts in Joppa. You and I would call it a revival today. Things are happening. People want to learn about this God where there's a resurrecting power. And soon Joppa starts becoming the center of evangelism. It's at this time that our story begins. Acts chapter 10. If you will read with me, I'll read quietly. I'll read out loud, you can read quietly. Uh, I guess we got that backwards there. Acts chapter 10, and starting with verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of the Lord coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, her surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when an angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Who is Cornelius? He's a Roman soldier, but what is his job? He's a centurion, so that means he has roughly how many soldiers underneath him? A hundred, that's right. We get our name sentry, and it, they say probably it's more like 80, and I guess that would happen when you're in battle a lot. Um, so that is, how else is he described? Notice in verse uh, two, it says, a devout man who, what? Who feared God. Now, when you see this phrase, fear God, just a little bit of history lesson for you. Jewish believers who were, no, no, no. Gentile believers in Judaism who were not Jews. Did I go a long way around to say that? Gentile, Yes. So people who believed in the God of the Bible who were not Jews were called God-fearers. And you can look at that through literature all over the place. So he was a God-fearer. In other words, he, he accepted the Jewish religion, and, but he couldn't be a Jew because he, he was a Gentile. So he is a God-fearer. And then it says something else here. It says, what, what did he give generously? Alms. And I always kind of find it interesting that it, it mentions that you know, he, he's not giving a little bit of money. 
Uh, for it to take special mention in the Scripture, he's, he's, he's a wealthy man who's supplying the needs of the Jewish community. Then it goes on and says, um, how often did he pray? The Bible says he prayed always, right? So here is a, would you call him a sincere believer in God? Absolutely. Here's a sincere believer of God. And then something interesting happened in verse 3. God sent something to him. In a vision, what did he see in the vision? An angel. He saw an angel. Now, this was, this was a, a slight stretch for Jewish people because they believed that only Jews could have an angel come to visit them. And here is an angel going to visit a Gentile. Something is different here. They would have struggled as soon as they heard this. So here, by the way, if they read their history, they would not have struggled. You and I must remember to let the Word of God be our foundation for our beliefs. You can say amen. It gets to a point sometimes where we get caught up in what the political beliefs are of the day. But the political uh, grandstanding that takes place in society is not always biblical. Does that make sense? In fact, oftentimes it's unbiblical. We must realize that. So here it is. There's this belief. Where did God send an angel to a, a Gentile before in Scripture? Help me out. Actually, not an angel, a vision. Let me rephrase that, a vision. Where do we see a vision going to a Gentile in the Old Testament? Nebuchadnezzar, right? Classic example. Um, remember Pharaoh under Joseph? That God gave that vision. So you have these stories already. I like what verse 4 says. Um, your prayers, this is what the angel says to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Wow. God in heaven said, I hear your prayers. I don't know how we can emphasize this enough, and I'm not going to beat this drum until it falls apart, but I want to emphasize this point. Gentiles were treated as very, very different than Jews and not of the same value in the eyes of God treated very, very differently. We can't miss that point. So here it is. It says, you of a despised race, according to the Jewish mind, your prayers are coming up before me. I hear your prayers. They're valuable to me. That's important for us to realize that God hears the prayers of all who call upon him. We cannot think that... Okay, so in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, every Hebrew would have known this passage. God says, I am nigh to the prayers of Israel. This is Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you're taking notes, verse 7. God is nigh to Israel in all things. But David opens it up and expands it a little bit later in Psalms 145. He says, God is nigh to all that call upon him. So we see Deuteronomy, he's nigh to Israel. But when we come to David, David makes it crystal clear, he is nigh to all that call upon him. In God's eyes, the prayers of all people are valuable. What we're looking at in this first section as a turning point in the thinking of the early Christian church. I know Jesus taught it, 
but it was a turning point in the thinking of the early Christian church. Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Romans 10, verse 12. We're going to look at two principles here real quick. Romans 10, verse 12. This is what was understood later, but was started here in Acts chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 12. We'll be looking at two passages from the writings of Paul. We're not digging into them, just reading them. Romans 10, verse 12 says, For there is how much distinction? No distinction between who? Jews and Greeks. Very important. For the same Lord over who? Is rich unto who? Who call upon him. Saying the Lord over all is rich unto all. If he is your Lord, he is rich unto you. Amen? Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Paul makes probably one of the strongest, most unequivocal statements on this subject. Um, it deserves a sermon on its own. I'm not going to do that. I just want to read it together. Okay, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says here, there, can we read uh, verse 26? We'll start with verse 26. For you are all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor, why? You are all one in Christ Jesus. We can't forget the phrase. What is our sermon title today? One blood. We can't forget that. God has made all nations of one blood. That means if you take my blood and you cut open my arm, my blood theoretically goes back to the same ancestor. Your blood goes back too. We are brothers and sisters in this room today. By the way, there's brothers and sisters out there, but oftentimes people forget it. But if there's any place that we should remember we're brothers and sisters, it's in this room, in this place, in this place. We must not forget that. So let's continue. Additional principle, Acts chapter 10. Notice what it says in verse 6. We can't miss this. God speaks to Cornelius and he says of Simon Peter, he is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. Then he says this, he, Simon Peter, will tell you what you must do. And when I first read this, I was a little bit hesitant. Wait a minute, God, you're sending Simon Peter to, to explain Christianity to Cornelius? Why don't you just have the angel tell them? Can't the angel do it? Why send Cornelius? I mean, why send Peter? Now, Peter of all people. We know a little bit about Peter. Peter struggled. He struggled with seeing people that were not Jewish as good as Jews. Non-Jewish people, I mean, were, were at a different level than Jewish people. This was a clear thinking in Jewish mind. What would you call that today? We could call it racist, you could call it prejudice, you could call it whatever you want to call it, but they clearly thought, you are inferior, we are superior. This was the thinking, and Peter thought like this. So this is Peter's thinking, and God is sending Peter the bigot. Does he love God? Yes. Does he love God? Yes. God is sending a man who loved God who has got some wrong principles to go explain the truth to another people who love God and are still growing. That's amazing to me that God wants to, and we must learn this. God uses instruments that have to grow themselves. 
God uses instruments that have to grow themselves. By the way, can you think of any? In the Bible? Other than yourself, okay, we all, we all know about ourselves, right? So other than ourselves, what are some instruments that are still growing that God used in the Bible? Can't think of any. I'll, I'll give you a few. Balaam. Actually, he wasn't even growing. He was going down. God still used him. Samson. Yes? Gideon. Yes? Esther. Don't get me started. Um, David. Absolutely. Jephthah. If you've read the story of Jephthah, very interesting. God used people who were still growing to help other people grow. God is good. Peter has a vision. He's, uh, so Cornelius sends out how many people? Three. Two servants and a soldier. They are going from Joppa to get to Peter's house. No, not from Joppa, from Caesarea to get to Peter's house in Joppa. It's about the time they're getting close to the gate. Peter has no idea what's happening. He's in his house and he's thinking, you know what? It's hungry. We had a long night of evangelism last night. I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing some kind of evangelism. It's, I'm, I, I woke up. I'm going to go up on the rooftop. I'm going to pray a little bit. And as he's up there praying, hunger starts getting in. And uh, if you ever wonder if holy men, of, holy men and women of God had their prayers interrupted by hunger. Now you got the answer. Am I right? They were human being. So he's up there praying, and all of his praying starts getting mixed up with the rumbling of his tummy, as my son would say. And he's looking, he said, Ooh, in that mindset, what comes down from heaven? A sheet, it says, or blanket, and it, on the four corners, and it has all kinds of clean and unclean animals. Everything's in it. And it comes down. And uh, he hears a voice. And verse 13, the voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. This is around noontime again when this is happening. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. I'm in verse 14. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I find it fascinating that here he is. He has been around Jesus. And now here he says, I'm not eating anything ever common or unclean. He's got it's settled in his mind. If you can think about, see, what you think about in a dream, if you stay firm on something in a dream, then it's really stuck in your brain. Does that make sense? If you're ever going to compromise, it's probably in a dream. But he's not compromising. You hear that? What a beautiful picture. Then he says, a voice spake to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up to heaven again. Why did God repeat it three times? Well, repetition deepens impression, right? We, we believe that. Those are educators. Uh, how many times in your years of teaching English did you repeat what a noun was? You don't want to tell me. How many times did you emphasize some of the principles of history. Did you tell the same story probably four or five times as kids were going through? Yeah. You hear about the Revolutionary War and then you hear about the Revolutionary War and then you hear about it again. You just add new details. Why? Because education involves repeating something so people get it. And that's what's happening here. But it's more important than that. How many men did Cornelius send? How many times did that sheet come down? Three times. We can't miss the connection because 
Peter doesn't miss it. Notice what it says in verse 17. Now while Peter, what was that word? Wondered. Now, so we've had praying Peter. Now we have a wondering Peter. You know what the word was in the center column? Perplexed. So we have praying Peter, now we have perplexed Peter. He's wondering, what in the world is happening? In fact, he says this, what this vision which he had seen meant. While he's wondering, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They called and asked whether Simon, whose surname Peter, was lodging there. Verse 19, while Peter did what? Thought about the vision. The Spirit said to him, behold, what? Three men are seeking you. What a picture. God, what is this? This, this three sheet coming down three times with, with, with all these. What does it mean? God, I, I don't know what it means. And I'm trying to figure out what it is. It says, while he's thinking that, he's, the Holy Spirit says, Peter, there's three people at the gate. Oh, wait, three. Three. By the way, if you read the rest of the story in Acts 11, which we're not going to read today for sake of time, three comes up all the time. It was the key point that was trying to be driven home. Three. Um, then read verse 20. Arise. Therefore go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. I always struggle with this, but it's a statement of what Christianity was. And by God's grace, we can leave it in the past. Here is Peter. He finds out that three people are wanting him, and God warns him ahead of time. Peter, go with them. Don't doubt. Does God do that when it's a Jewish person? No, he doesn't have to. Okay, so if it, someone comes up to Peter, who's Jewish, and said, I want to learn more about Jesus Christ, Peter's going to be like, let's go. But if it's a Gentile believer, God has to say, let me warn you, Peter, you need to go with them. Because Peter's natural prejudice would have kept him from going with them. God had to tell him, overcome your natural prejudice, go with them. Does that make sense? This is the picture that's coming out here. I read a biography this week called Let the Church Roll On by a man named E.E. E. Cleveland. If you have not heard of E.E. E. Cleveland, I encourage you to read his biography. This is his autobiography. And he tells the story. He said he was in the early 1950s, late 1940s. He was sitting down in um, a meeting for pastors in the southern part of the United States. As they were sitting down for their meeting, it came lunchtime. He said, okay, time for lunch. And he, Elder Cleveland got in line at the cafeteria there at what used to be Southern Missionary College, which is now Southern Adventist University. He got in line, and then he looked around, and he realized, all my colored brethren are sitting over there. I'm the only one in line. He goes, and then I kept met eyes with a division, uh, union president. The union president looked at me, and I looked back at him. Had, then the union president went over to the other brethren who were sitting off to the side, and come on, you need to go through line. He goes, and that was the first time that an African-American had eaten in the cafeteria. He was determined to say, it's time for things to change. And this is the, the thing that Peter is experiencing here with Cornelius. It's time for what? Yeah. 
change. And he could see it. He sensed it. Well, the story is, by the way, of Elder Cleveland. I'll tell you one more. What happened is they'd have pastor's meetings. And in those days, when you have pastor's meetings, uh, each pastor would stand up and give a report from his district and say, here's how the Lord is blessing my district. Well, that was happening all the time on one side of the room, but the other side of the room, it never happened. Elder Cleveland said, why is it that my white brothers and sisters give reports about what's happening in their church, but we African Americans don't give reports what's happening in our churches? We've got good stuff happening in our churches. So one time he just decided it's time for it to stop. You have to read the story of Elder Cleveland to understand this. And he got up and said, Mr. President, sir, I'd just like to let you know some great things are taking place. This is happening, this is happening, this is happening. He just went on and on. And the president looked at him and said, Elder Cleveland, I know it's true. That is fantastic. Praise God for what God's doing in your district. And from there on out, everyone shared. Sometimes we don't realize that even in our beloved church, we did a little bit of this Jew Gentile thing. Except we did it based upon the color of skin. We must realize there comes a time that we in our church all look at each other. Now, I praise God. I have sensed that I was taught this way. My church went out of its way to teach me that, Chuck, there is no difference. We are all God's children. We were taught that. We played games together. We spent time together. We looked at each other. My best friend, a couple of my years growing up, was an African-American young man. One of the first young ladies I liked was not Caucasian. Didn't bother me. I didn't even think about it because that's just the way it was. But I realized that it hasn't been that way for many of you. I praise God that it was for the generation I was in. But many have not experienced that. We of all people in God's church should be willing. And by the way, a little shout out. That was Seventh-day Adventist education. That was a Seventh-day Adventist elementary school. That was a Seventh-day Adventist academy. That was a Seventh-day Adventist college. And yes, there were a few people that were racist every now and then. But by and large, we looked at each other as, well, as a friend of mine once said, it's not a friend of mine, but I heard his speech. He, we looked at people by the content of their character. We were trained to do that, and I praise God for that. However, it comes to a time when I see in our history as a nation that we are seems like we're not going forward any longer. And if there's any place we need to continue looking at content of character instead of outside, it should be God's church. And so I encourage us here, let us, I, we, we can't ignore what's happening, and I realize that, but if there's one place that we should see true, true Christianity start, it should start here, not start here, it should continue here, amen? amen? And if it hasn't been, it's time for us to reevaluate what's taking place. So here we are, where are we at? Acts chapter 10, verse 20. He's told to go with them. Peter has an aha moment. Three people searching for me. And then God gives him the encouragement. Go ahead. You need to go with them. So he goes with them. It's like this, this, this mindset starts switching. Now, by the way, Peter doesn't have a total mindset switch. If you study Peter, it's Peter's life. He still struggles. 
Way later, he's still struggling. But he's starting to have this change of mind. And he's starting to realize that those that were afar off, God has made near by Jesus Christ. That's a principle found in Ephesians chapter 2. In fact, if you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 2. Those who were made afar off, God has made near by Jesus Christ. Um, just a, a beautiful passage. Galatians, Ephesians. So you ever, is that how you memorize where your books are at? Okay, good. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. For he himself is our... I want to emphasize what we said at the beginning. Legislation is not your peace. Do we need it to enforce right things? Yes. But legislation is not our peace. Transformation is our peace. He is our peace peace it says this he has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation we are to be one that's god's desire and what we see in india what we know takes place around the world. You may not realize it, but as I have traveled, every place I go in the world, someone's prejudice against somebody. In some places, it's more than prejudice. It's racism. In some places, it becomes even more than racism because of what we call genocide. It happens worldwide. There's some places, if I gave this message, I would be run out of church. Praise God I'm not here. But there's some Adventist churches that would be struggling around the world if they heard me preach this. I praise God it's not happening here. But there's some places where they'd be struggling. We, sometimes we have a little bubble here. And we don't sense what's happening outside the walls of our church. And sometimes even outside the walls of our country. He has broken down the middle wall or partition. Notice what it says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create where? In himself, one new man from the two, making peace. This is God's plan. Oneness. You know, I remember the first time I traveled overseas, I'm not going to get specific because what I'm going to say is not necessarily, uh, it wouldn't come across kind to some, so I'm going to run a risk. But I was traveling overseas sometime when I was in college. And I remember walking into a church in another country and I almost got knocked over. The smell of body odor was so strong. And I remember just, oh man, no one warned me about this. No one gave me a heads up. And I remember singing. And you know when you're singing, you're taking these deep breaths and trying to sing. And then I realized that it happened in almost every country I was going to on that trip. And then I stayed in someone's house. By the way, if you want to know about someone, you need to spend time with them. You need to hear their story. And so as I spent time with them, I realized, oh, you get water five days a week. Oh... And you get hot water once or twice a week. And the rest of the time, you have to heat it up on your stove and you only have so much gas because you've got to cook for your family. Oh, so you only bathe once a week, if that. Because it's that or don't eat hot food. Oh, it changes you. 
But I realized that even though I was in that church, you know where they did for Sabbath school? They pulled out one of these. A Sabbath school quarterly. And then I remember being in another country, in another continent, and they pulled out one of these. Then I was in another country, in another continent, and they've been out. You know, I've been at least 20 countries where I see them using this. Amazing. God has made of one many people. Let's not forget it. You know, we are in the minority here in the world church here in North America. I was just doing some research and... uh, you know where a majority of Seventh-day Adventists are, are found? Africa, South America, and India. So uh, I hope when you get to heaven, you're ready. Right? That we are going to be, we are a worldwide church. I praise God for it. God did not make only red flowers. Amen? He's made every single color because that's where beauty is found. I get excited because back to Acts chapter 10. So Peter goes in to Cornelius' house. He arrives there. Cornelius is excited. He's called together his family. He's called together his friends. The house is ready for a church service. Everything is ready to go. Peter walks in and Cornelius does this. I mean, more than this. I mean, he almost falls at his feet. The term that's used in the Greek means worship. Not just reverence, worship. And so you you see this feeling that's coming out and Peter grabs him up and says one of the most important principles that we must not forget. Verse 26. Stand up. I myself am also a man. You and I are the same. I myself am also a man. You Gentile, a man. I'm a Jew. We are the same. We can't forget that we are made of one blood. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Speaking of Adam, who is your father, and your father, and your father, and your father, and mine. It says that in the image of God, God created humankind. All of us are in the image of God. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, this is for your notes, tells us that we are of all one Father, our Creator. We have one God. That takes it, takes it one further than Adam. The Creator is our Father. We have one Father. If we have one Father, that means you're part of what? One fa- I heard it. We're part of what? We're one family. So when we get together, have you ever found Christians are a little weird and they say brother and sister? Yeah, well, we are. You could actually say it on the street too if you wanted to, but then they really think you're odd. But the bottom line is, they are far enough back, your brothers and sisters. So when I go to Africa and I'm walking through Tanzania, those are my brothers and sisters. When I go to India and I walk the streets, those are my brothers and sisters. When I'm in Korea, those are my brothers and sisters. When I'm in Thailand in a refugee camp, those are my brothers and sisters. Doesn't make a difference where I am on this planet. They're my brothers and sisters. We are of one family. You know, uh, Peter says something. And I find it interesting, again, verse 28. Then he said to them, You know how it's unlawful it is 
for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into one of another age. He starts out with this. I find that interesting. You know how it's unlawful for me to come and spend time with you. And then he clarifies this. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, I find that he had to quote God to get in there. He wasn't just going to walk in because that would have been against everything. The only way I'm spending time with you is because God said so. Eh, just a slight interesting note. But God said so. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 16? There will be one flock or one fold and one shepherd. I'm going to call everyone to me and there's going to be one fold and one shepherd. Can't miss that point. God is making us all. By the way, I like the, the use of the word flock. It doesn't say two flocks or three flocks or four flocks. How many flocks? One flock. How many shepherds? One shepherd. So um, that means what animal are we? Sorry, I just, I just wanted to work through that. So what are we? Sheep. We're not going to go and describe why we're being called sheep because there's some good reasons for it, right, Gerard? So, but we are called sheep. If you have one shepherd and you're a sheep, what does that mean about the other people? They're part of the same flock. You have the same shepherd. Fascinating. Very simple. Um, I like to continue with the, with the preaching. We have praying Peter. We have perplexed Peter. And now we have preaching Peter. Okay? Um, he starts out his sermon classical style he's going through everything right you get these preachers I, I, i'll speak for myself i've got my points here's my first point here's my second point and my third point he's going through his sermon and uh he gets to his final point he's getting to his appeal and he gets interrupted but before i get to the interruption i want to focus on what he preached in the first part of his sermon so if you look in verse 34 that peter opened his mouth and said in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Amen? God shows no partiality. Then it says this, but in every nation, you know what the word for nation is? Ethnos. That's where we get our word ethnic. Every ethnicity, every nation, every ethnicity God, let me pick it where I was at, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The righteous man in South Africa, the righteous woman in France, the seeker in Mexico, yes, every single one of them. But what we need to look at is here today in the United States. My African-American brothers and sisters and my Caucasian brothers and sisters and everyone else, we are one. We don't always look the same. Our worship styles are not always the same. Our philosophy is not always the same. Our needs aren't always the same. But the bottom line is we're still one. 
And if you get shocked by that, have children. What my daughter needs is different than what my son needs. And what my oldest son needs is different than what my youngest son needs. I mean, vastly different. God deals with that with us. So sometimes He does things that are specific to our needs. It doesn't change the fact we're part of the same family. We must realize that. All right. How many people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Wait a minute. So everyone who receives righteousness is accepted, but we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how in the world are we accepted? I have to bring this out because I can't help but bring this out. Christ is our righteousness. If you are His, His righteousness is yours. What a beautiful, beautiful gift. Verse 36, Peter continues. He says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. He is what? He said, who, t- who preached that? Which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. So Jesus preached that God was Lord of all. And we can look at, that would be a whole other sermon sometime. Actually, you're going to get part of it next week. Um, he is Lord of all. So the appeal happens. Peter's just getting into his appeal. You, Cornelius, your servants, your family, your friends, it's time for you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He's getting into it. I'm paraphrasing just a little bit. And then in verse 44, it says this, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Now, who, who, who was listening? that's true that's true but specifically name the man who was listening and who else his household and that includes his family his servants everyone was connected with it right did he bring anyone else to listen his friends so you got a bunch of gentiles and the holy spirit falls down whoa that doesn't mean anything to you because you are like some 2020 people but in those days they would have said whoa how did that happen in fact notice what it says And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. How can this happen? Gentiles can't receive the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. Only Jews receive the Holy Spirit. And you say, Chuck, this is ridiculous. You're right, to us it is. But to them it was not. To us, some of the things that we think are important, they would say was ridiculous too. Peter By the way, Peter had brought some people to circumcision with him. I forgot to mention that. When he left Joppa, he didn't just go with Cornelius, uh, Cornelius' three servants. He took six people with him. And there was a reason for that, which is a great element to the story, which we will not share today. Just, this is a packed story. Um, Notice verse 47. Oh, by the way, verse 46 says, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. I mean, the Holy Spirit has fallen fully on them. They were given gifts of the Spirit. Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He said, You know what? The fact that they received the Holy Spirit is proof that they can be baptized. God led by His Spirit what they should do. What God gave, they ratified. And that is what needs to happen even today. By the way, that's important. And I'm going to close with this thought and a few stories. 
Why is it so important that water baptism was given? What does water baptism mean? If you don't mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What does water baptism mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. There's a word that's been coming up quite a lot today in our study. I think it's, uh, I'm hoping that it comes up because it's going to sink in. It's sinking in for me. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, but as the body is one and has many members, but all the body, members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. What is the word? One, over and over again. When you're baptized, you're baptized into one body. That one body is Jesus Christ. Is Christ divided? No. So neither is his church. I challenge you today. We must get outside of our own story and look at someone else's story. We need to get out of our own skin and see someone else's life through their skin. It's, it's, it's not a, a hard thing when we realize that we've got a worldwide church. It's not that complicated. But sometimes we get caught up. I know I did. I was amazed in small town, white America. Everyone around me was white. And then I went to an elementary school and I thought, whoa, okay, so there's other people out there. It was good for me. Then I went to academy and got the same experience. And then I went to a college and I was immersed in the college. 80-some students represented by 30-some countries. Praise God. And by the way, it wasn't one from each country and 50 from the U.S. That's not how it worked out. I am thankful for that kind of experience because I started seeing through other people's eyes. The last couple weeks, I've been doing a lot of research. It's not heavy-duty research. It's research that I suggest all of you do. It's called finding stories of people that aren't like me and finding out what life is like. I suggest all of us do it because every single person in here needs to hear what another person lives like that's not of the same cultural background they are. We all need it because racism, quite frankly, my friends, and prejudice and discrimination and profiling goes every direction. So I started listening to all kinds of talks. Have you heard of TED Talks? So I was doing TED Talks until I got tired of TED Talks. I don't hours of it. Then I listened to sermons from friends. And then I was introduced to my brother E.E. E. Cleveland's bi biography. That was this week. I need the stories. I had no idea that African-American ministers weren't allowed to eat at the same cafeteria until the 1950s. I had no idea. And when I found out that one man was bold enough to stand up and that everyone supported him, I thought, that's the way it's supposed to work. It happens. Sometimes we don't see something and someone says it and we say, okay. I praise God that those kinds of things have taken place. I'd like to summarize a few things before our final stories. God is nigh to all who call upon him. If for some reason today you're thinking that God can't hear you, I want to let you know God can. 
Not only does it not make a difference what you look like, it doesn't make a difference what you've done. If you're longing for God, he's longing to hear from you. Second point, in Christ, there is no separation based upon race, gender, economic status, etc. There is no separation in Christ. Third point, no group of people are unclean. We are all of one race. Whoa, 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 you're ready to hit me on that one. Hold on. We are all of the human race. Yes? We are all of the human race. And our final point in summary, in Christian, in Christ, all Christians are one. In Christ, all Christians are one. There was a young man I'm going to call out color for the sake of this story, okay? Just because we're looking at it from a color perspective these days. He was from a gang in New York City and went to a Seventh-day Adventist academy in the country. While there, he, uh, he was African-American and he decided he was going to We'll use the, I'll use a phrase that was in my era. Hit on. You know what I mean? Hit on one of the Caucasian brothers' girlfriends. <whistles> By the way, that happens all the time among guys, but this, this, this was not pleasant. And instantly, the boyfriend fought, and there was a big fist fight. The two boys were separated, and the African-American brother was expelled from school, and the white brother got a slap on the wrist. Everyone in the school got angry because, I want to remind, this is from my era. We were trained differently. And so when we saw something like this, there was like, hypocrite. You, you know that like the big light starts flashing? And we were like, no! And so there was a fight and a petition went around the whole school and the decision was reversed. Well, this young man had a starter jacket. Yeah, I don't remember those days. You remember, right, Kevin? No? Starter jackets. These were the sports jackets. And if you had a starter jacket, it meant that you paid 70 bucks more than anybody else. That's all it really meant. And he had a Redskins starter jacket. Well, my aunt had died a few years earlier, and she had bought a Redskins starter jacket. Now, we had two different brands, same brand, but two different year models. And so to show that we were united during this time, I wore his jacket and he wore mine. And I remember I was walking around with his starter jacket on. That's right. My name is Mr. Kobishiani. That was his last name. And he walked around wearing my starter jacket. That's right. I'm Mr. Holtry. Two young guys trying in our own way to say we are what? One but it hit me as I shared this story. I needed to see life from his jacket. And he needed to see life from my jacket. Too many times, we only see other people's experiences through our experiences. And so we don't know what they're going through because it wouldn't bother us if we were there. We don't know what it's like to see life through someone else's skin. I encourage each one of us in this room to do that. The last story, Daryl Davis. If you don't know his name, get to know it. Daryl Davis, African-American musician from Baltimore. 
And uh, he said, when I was 10 years old, my parents woke me up one day and he goes, I have no idea why they chose that day, but they put me in front of me and they sat down and they gave me the talk. And, you know, I think of the talk, you know, the talk. But for an African-American boy, the talk is, not everyone's going to like you because of what you look like. And so Daryl Davis got that talk, and he started questioning, why would someone not like me who doesn't even know me? That doesn't make sense to me. And his questions started fomenting in his mind, and he never let it go. Why do people not like me if they don't know me? Because I can see why people wouldn't like me if they knew me. <laughs> That's their choice, right? But if you don't know me, why wouldn't you like me? There's no reason to like or dislike. And so he's struggling with this, and then he thought, he heard about a group called the KKK. You heard of them? Klu Klux Klan. And he thought, wow. I heard that they hate people who are not of their color because they just hate them. He goes, why would they do that? Well, Darrell Davis was a bold man. He figured if you don't know, you might as well ask and find out from the source. So Darrell Davis went to a Ku Klux Klan rally to find out. I'm going to ask, so why don't you like me? Oh, because you're inferior. And they went through the whole list. He goes, I don't get it. That doesn't make sense to me. What makes that inferior? Why would my nose make me inferior? right? Why would the color of my skin make me inferior? And he went through the whole thing. And they started going back and forth. And finally, he said, I like to talk to the guy who's in charge here. And he ended up being introduced to the Grand Dragon of the KKK for the state of Maryland. And they started talking. And they started talking. And he said, well, why don't you come over to my house? So Daryl Davis invited the KKK Grand Dragon with his bodyguard, by the way. Uh, by the way, the name of that man was Robert White. Okay. So you have Daryl Davis inviting the KKK Grand Dragon Robert White to his house. And so they're sitting down and they're eating, enjoying it. And uh, by the way, the first time they met was in a hotel room. They were trying to negotiate having to talk face to face and it was a fascinating story. They almost came to blows. They heard an ice cream, an ice maker let go of ice and the tension was so tight both people thought the other person was about to do something. They both jumped up and ready to go at it. And they realized it was an ice maker, and they started laughing, and it broke the ice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so that's, that is the true story. So here they are. They're starting to get along. They're starting to talk. And finally, Robert White invites Daryl Davis to his house. This got onto the news. If you, can, you can see news clips from this happening. And you can hear Robert White saying, we are superior. We are better than everyone else at a Ku Klux Klan rally. Then he looks out and he says, except for him, he's one of us. Daryl Davis? African-American? One of them? Are you confused? I'm not. Here's why. If you want to reach a person, you must talk to them. You must be a friend with them. You must eat their food you must sit at their table. You must experience what they experience. Know why they feel what they feel. You may be uncomfortable. I can tell you Daryl Davis was uncomfortable. And I can guarantee you Robert White was uncomfortable. You may be uncomfortable, but it's worth it. Robert White left the KKK because of his friendship with Daryl Davis. The Grand Dragon quit his club because he met another person and heard their story. If for some reason you have feelings of prejudice in your heart, 
If for some reason there are seeds there about angry at someone else because they look different, act different, or whatever it may be, I encourage you, get to know them. Hear their story. I praise God that I was raised where I was taught to hear other people's stories. But you know what? In the last two weeks in hearing stories, I got a whole lot more information. Don't think that we already know it. There's so much more to learn. God has made us all of one blood. My challenge for you today, actually, I'm going I'm to make an appeal. Is that okay? I was told by my African-American pastoral friends, you can't preach and not make an appeal. It's not acceptable. Today, would you be willing to say, God, I want to hear more stories of people not like me. I want to hear stories of people not like me, and I'm going to ask you, Father, to help me to love as you loved. Amen? Amen. Okay. Can we pray together? Father in heaven, for 2,000 years, your church has wrestled with this, and they have won time and time again by learning that all of us are one. Help us today here in Cape Cod, Although we are so loving and, and integrated in so many ways, yet even in our hearts, we have to hear more stories. We must be willing to look at people with different eyes, and I pray that you will give us the grace to do that. And Father, may your church here, may your church on Cape Cod, and may your church in this country be a light to show that there is another way. And there's a way of brotherhood and sisterhood and that we are one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.